man was loved by the man in black. Let's talk about Johnny Cash with Richard Beck on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. And we are so glad you're here. You always have a place at our table. Uh, I'm uh, Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Our favorite mega church pastor, Zach Van Dyke, is here. He's known as the man in khaki. <laughs> We're going to do this today. Yeah. Oh, man. Matthew Bo- stuff. Matthew, Bo- <laughs> Matthew Porter's here with us. Matthew was doing good on his New Year's resolutions. And then he tripped over the cat, and everything went south. Sorry. Broke a couple there. Did you hurt the cat? No. Just myself. Did you hurt your family with no. the language that you used? No. He's got four chances to trip. They've got four cats. Four cats. a lot of cats. Yes. Uh, our producer, Jinx, is working hard in the little glass booth. Jinx has seen a million faces. And he's mic them all. <laughs> Our video director, John Myers, is in the tech bunker. And once again, John was passed over for an Oscar nomination. I'm so sorry, John. And then Jeremy Birdsall is here. He uh, is uh, an incredible musician. Uh, he's also now... <laughs> a seminary student <laughs> at night. Hey, Jeremy. Sorry, man. Don't give hold us, that against give me. Us Watch a, out for that Hebrew and Greek class. <laughs> give us a big new word that you've learned. <laughs> uh, my current word of the day is tritheism. Tritheism. You which, got that from John Frame, did you? Oh, oh, oh look at this. Look, look at this guy. I bet, I bet you went to seminary, He's too. <laughs> tritheism. Like that, that means... Wait, wait, oh, wait, no, wait, no, wait. No, no, Let's no. see if Zach knows. Oh. <laughs> I, I was worried you were going to ask that. Uh, I, it took no, me seven no. years to get through seminary, and I wasn't really paying attention. So, <laughs> Tritheism is a doctrine that says, look, even if you're just trying, that helps. Oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That it's, works it's for me. Part of the self-esteem. <laughs> yeah. And Kathy Wyatt is the soft feminine side of the program. Kathy runs things around D-Life, so if something's wrong, if we offend you, if we make bad mistakes, take it up with her, okay? <laughs> and our guest. How did I get that? Listen, I don't write this stuff. I, know you I read it, okay? I know. I know. Listen, I've been outsourcing it to China for a couple months now, so don't, <laughs> don't, don't blame me. translation? Is that what's happening? Look, times are tough. Listen. I, w- w- our guest today is Richard Beck. He's a, he's a popular blogger, speaker. He's a professor of psychology at Aberdeen Christian University. His published research covers topics as diverse as psychology of profanity. Man, we got to do another program. Oh, yeah. On I want to know about yeah. that. 
and why Christian bookstore art is so bad. No, I really want to know about I like that, that. And uh, I just want you to know, Richard, that's not going to help you sell books. I, that was not a good thing to write about if you're trying to sell books. Just a word of wisdom from the old guy. Richard has authored several books. And his latest, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers, is Trains, Jesus, and Murder, the Gospel, according to Johnny Cash. Richard, it's good to have you with us. Oh, it's good to be with you all, though that intro scared me to be joining this group of people. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, you I'm a little be, intimidated. You should be yeah, scared. Oh, yeah. Sure you are. <laughs> hey, I don't know if you, and Richard, I don't know if you can see it or the people who are watching the video stream. But right behind me is a poster, a Johnny Cash poster, which will give you an idea of the altar at which we worship. <laughs> no, we really don't. But I really like Johnny Cash. And uh, that poster was given a number of years ago by our daughter and uh, son-in-law to me because they knew uh, my feelings about Johnny Cash. And so needless to say, when I started your book, I didn't know what to expect. I, you know, you read a Christian writing about somebody I like, and I don't want him to mess it up. Richard, this is this book. And guys, you have got to get this book. You're going to love it. It's, uh, it's not only informative and fun, it's profound. And it says things about Johnny Cash that haven't been said in very many venues. So, Richard, thank you for writing this book. Tell, tell start, start at the start. You, you, you teach a, um, a Bible study at a prison, uh, and uh, you were listening to the radio. You didn't know much about Johnny Cash, did you? Yeah, I teach a Bible study every Monday night at a maximum security prison north of my hometown here in Abilene. And I know a little bit about Johnny Cash, didn't count myself a huge fan, but picked up uh, his uh, iconic at Folsom Prison, live at Folsom Prison concert, just because I wanted to listen to the album as I drove back and forth to the prison. And and anybody who's ever listened to that album knows it is unforgettable. It is. And it's it, it, the sounds of the room, the cheering, the inmates, the guards breaking in, the the surface tension with the warden. It was a, it was a world I recognized, and that was kind of my hook. That's kind of what captured my imagination. And I just after that, I just couldn't get enough Johnny Cash. Yeah, it gets that way after a while. I took my wife, by the way, who uh, uh, is a classical musician, Jeremy, and she I did not know that, and she's not a big Johnny Cash fan. And I was speaking for this convention for Youth for Christ staff people, and Johnny Cash brought two or three semis, his entire show, and put it on for fun, for free, to say thank you to these guys and what they were doing with young people. And uh, as you mentioned, he always opens his concerts with, Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And after he says that, one of the reasons, Johnny Cash had trouble holding a tune sometimes, and uh, <laughs> but nobody knew it because everybody's shouting. And uh, so he said, hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And uh, the place went crazy. And before the evening was over, my sweet, 
little wonderful feminine wife was standing on the table up next to the stage. <laughs> and, uh, and, and whistling. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I thought, I think I made a mistake in this marriage. <laughs> but Johnny Cash has a tendency, not just because of his music, but because of who he is and the reality and the childlike authenticity of who he is, which you talk about so often and so well in this book. Um, what's your favorite thing to say about Johnny Cash? Oh, that's huge. Um, I think I have one of my favorite moments. Um, one that one really speaks to me, and I, I, I think I think it's kind of one of the best parts of the book. The story is is that if you look at the album at San Quentin, the kind of live follow up album that Cash recorded, the the song San Quentin is recorded back to back, which is strange for an album that you would sing a song twice in a row. Uh-huh. But if you read, if you know the story about why that happened. San Quentin is probably not one of his most popular songs, but it is just a harsh indictment of the prison industrial complex. And he started that song by saying, like, I I don't know what it feels like to be in prison, but I've tried to put myself in your shoes. And if I was in your shoes, this is how I'd feel about San Quentin. And it's just a Whoa. venomous kind of song. And it so spoke to the inmates that they just screamed and screamed and demanded that he sing it again. And he sang it twice in a row. And after he sang it the second time, the, the room filled up with like so much energy. It just bordered almost on a riot. And Cash told his producer later on, he says, you know, I felt like if I had said, let's go, there would have a prison riot would have broke out right at that moment. Uh, and he confesses to being a little tempted in doing that. So I just love that moment where he was so able to speak into the plight and the feelings of the incarcerated that. He just channeled that energy. And I think he, had, he could do that with audiences. He could speak for them yeah. in ways no other artist could do. That was a supernatural thing, wasn't it? No, I think so. And it's hard. To, I appreciate what you said about the book because for a lot of people, I've discovered that Johnny Cash is kind of holy ground. Uh, he, he means a great deal to a lot of people. And so when you're trying to write about somebody so formative and iconic, uh, you, you can get it wrong. You can get crosswise with people. And so I appreciate what you said, because I do think in many ways he has been uh, the spiritual muse for so many seekers. Oh, he really has. And and, you know, the you know, one of the things that is so good, you know, we have this. And and I'm an evangelical. Um, I'm a Bible thumper. You know, I believe the Bible and all that. I just want to say that for you. Send me the letters. But our witness to the world is we're good. They're bad. Uh, if you come to Jesus, you'll be good like me. And uh, Johnny Cash, and we're going to talk about this with Richard on the other side of the break. Johnny Cash <laughs> ran to Jesus over and over and over again. And then he went back into the far country and slept with the pigs. And everybody listening to my voice who's honest knows what that means. You don't stay on the farm, but you don't stay with the pigs as long as you did before. At any rate, don't you go anywhere. This is going to be a wonderful hour with Richard Beck.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hello. I'm Steve Brown. <laughs> uh, we're, uh, oh, wait, we were supposed to cheer. Almost as low. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. We're interviewing Richard Beck, and uh, he's great. He's fun to be with, and he, this book you've got to get. It's Trains, Jesus, and Murder, the Gospel According to Johnny Cash. Richard, I know that um, I, I don't know a lot of details, obviously, but I, I know that Johnny Cash had a really uh, very tragic and difficult life. Um, but there was, um, I, in looking over your book earlier this morning and also in the show prep, um, there was made mention the fact that there was a pretty significant defining moment that involved um, his brother. Can you um, talk about that a little bit? Yeah, his older brother, Jack, um, was kind of his best friend. Jack, I think, was around 15 years old and was kind of planning on being a minister. And he died in a horrific uh, saw accident. Uh, He was cutting fence posts at a a school uh, shop and was pulled into a a saw that cut into his abdomen through his intestines. And he lingered for a few days and and kind of died tragically. And it wasn't just a catastrophic loss in Cash's own personal life that Jack was kind of his best friend, but his father uh, kind of blamed him for Jack's death. Uh, he felt probably that uh, Johnny should have had Jack with him that morning. They were going to go fishing. And so not just the trauma of the loss, but but kind of the internalized guilt uh, that his father placed upon him. He kind of felt his whole life that he was responsible for his brother's death. And I think a lot of the interesting contrast in Cash's music in life, kind of that interesting blend of kind of darkness and grace, light and dark, uh, his own troubles with addiction later on. I think a lot of that trauma goes back to the loss he experienced with his brother Jack. Hmm. Do you tell the story about the time he was on the airplane and they hit a uh, air pocket and where he found himself? Yeah, and at the he wrote two different autobiographies. This one was the first one he wrote in the 70s, kind of after he'd come out of a season of addiction and kind of was now kind of an evangelical spokesperson. But he, he writes uh, at the end of the book, flying over um, their home state in Arkansas, and the uh, plane hit a bit of turbulence, shook everything in the plane. And he looked out the window and realized at that exact moment where they hit that turbulence, they had just flown over the cemetery where Jack was buried. And he took that as kind of a divine sign that Jack was still with them. 
And he had made a promise. This is the other thing about Cash. He wanted to initially be a gospel music singer. And when he went to Sun Studios in Memphis, that's what he auditioned with was gospel music. And he, and he wanted to be a gospel music singer because Jack, he, Jack, again, was going to go in the ministry and Cash was trying to figure out a way he can honor his brother's legacy. And he made a promise to Jack that he would sing gospel music through his entire life. And so after he kind of gets that bit of turbulence in the book, he writes that he had kept his promise to Jack. He was still singing those gospel hymns that they grew up listening to their mother play. Um, and he continued to do it all the way to the end of his career, sang gospel music as kind of a witness for Jack and preaching that message. Hmm. Wow. Jeremy. That's, that's powerful. I uh, um, know there's far more educated folks here than than I, but... You know, to be to be the nerdy seminary student guy, I do say I was hit by uh, sort of the intro chapter and uh, talking about walk the I walk the line, and that the chesed is God singing I walk the line to us, and I just thought that was tremendously powerful. I like how you referenced too later on uh, that Johnny wrote that song, but he. He never really walked the line, really. Um, uh, but I always thought that was a pretty profound way of looking at it, that God is walking the line for us. And, and you go in and you talk about the covenants and, and dividing the animals and God walking between them. And uh, like I said, I hate to be that nerdy guy, but that really, I thought, was profound. <laughs> That's not nerdy. That, that is profound. <laughs> you want to comment on that, Richard? Well, yeah, I mean, so... I Walked the Line was written early in his career. He was married to his first wife, Vivian, at the time. And he was out on the road touring with people like Elvis. And so she's watching how the young women are reacting to Elvis and her husband. She's getting a little worried about his keeping his marital vows. So he sings this kind of ode to fidelity, I'll walk the line for her. But late in his life, he also described to the biographer Robert Hilburn that he the song had two meanings to it. He, he, he thought it was his first gospel song. That that the pledge, I walk the line, was also an ode to fidelity to God. But as you pointed out, he didn't keep all of those promises. He Vivian eventually divorced. Um, he had his own season of struggles and darkness. And so his, his promises to God, he did not keep. Um, but I think his life story is that even though when he wandered, as you referenced, Steve, to the far country, uh, God never left him, and he kind of kept preaching that message throughout his life, how, how at one point when he was really suicidal and wandered <clears> off into a cave system north of Chattanooga, and he just wanted to wander back in the cave. This was at the height of his addiction. The, the first – his divorce with Vivian had finalized. He just wanted to wander off in this cave and die, and he laid down in the darkness, and God spoke to him in an audible voice saying, I'm still here, and to me, that's Hesed in Johnny Cash's life. God's still there. God's fidelity, God's faithfulness that we might wander off, but God doesn't, God doesn't break God's promises. And, um, and so, yeah, so Cash's life, I, I think people identify with him because of the brokenness he displayed in his life and his music. But I think the gospel message in his life, not just in his music, but in his own personal spiritual yeah. autobiography was God's fidelity to him. And by the way, don't get the if you're not familiar with Johnny Cash, don't get the idea of some kind of television evangelist who appears to be everything together, but is in secret, you know, doing some really bad stuff. Johnny Cash was authentic. I mean, he didn't pretend to be something he wasn't. He 
clung to Jesus because that was all he had. And he knew it. And he knew if grace wasn't true, then he didn't have a chance of a snowball in a hot place. Steve and I were talking about this this morning, and I was just mentioning how I kind of like my heroes damaged. And not that they yeah. like them damaged. We're all damaged. It There's something reassuring in a weird kind of way of when you can see the struggles and see the vices up front. And you're like, okay, that's your thing versus somebody who's just kind of high on a pillar and you know, they're, they're flawed and sinful. And you're like, you know, you seem like a good guy, but I feel like one day we're going to find out you like drowning kittens for fun. And, you know, (laughs) and it's going to be a little bit of a letdown, but, but there is that kind of power. Like you talk about a lot, Steve, with identification of Mm. like, look, I've never been to prison, me, Johnny Cash, but I can identify with uh, a lot of what you're going through. And and, and Richard, I think that's kind of part of his enduring legacy and appeal. Hold it. Definitely. I mean, I think that's what Richard, hold it. We're going to back out. Uh, This is called a teaser in the industry. (laughs) (laughs) Put a finger in the sentence you just started because we're going to come back and I want you to respond to what Matthew said. You know... We didn't make up that stuff about everybody being flawed. The good people in the church and the bad people are at the bar. The truth is, we got that from Jesus himself, clearly taught in Scripture. So if you're playing the wrong game, just stop it. Because you're really messing up the real story of what this thing is about. From Key Life comes two mini books. What do you do for a living? And Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know. A gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. Listening to Steve Brown, etc., and we're talking uh, with Richard Beck about a wonderful book, uh, Trains Jesus and Murder, the Gospel According to Johnny Cash. And uh, you're, you know, sometimes I say if you, this would be a great study for a small group in your church, but this is just a wonderful book you've got to read. You might want to do that, but. You, you, this is a book that once you start, you can't put down, and I recommend it highly. You know, looking at Johnny's life, you know, it's so funny. If you have a life full of contradictions, that's one thing. But if you have a life full of contradictions and you're successful, 
You graduate to being complicated, and I think that's <laughs> absolutely wonderful. And he's certainly a complicated character. Right before the break, we were talking about how that's kind of his appeal where you could see what the, the flaws were, and he clearly loved God and, and, and wrestled with demons. It's in, in so many words, it's not surprising that he and Bono eventually kind of connected yeah, yeah. and collaborated. Do you think that's a, a large part of, of, of his enduring appeal, Richard? Oh, no doubt. I mean, that's kind of where the title came from. I, I was during this season where I was just listening to Johnny Cash and kind of an addictive kind of way. Um, my sons are just soaking it up every time they drive with me in the car. And that's where the title of the book came from. My son Aiden uh, said to me on the way to uh, school one day, he goes, you know, Dad, Johnny Cash sings about three things, trains, Jesus and murder. <laughs> and uh, I said, son, that'd be a great title of a book. And uh, it, it stuck. But it's that I think it's that contrast, his ability to speak uh, to the dark side that we can identify with in our brokenness, but that it wasn't just dark. He just doesn't leave us in a dark place, that there was a redemptive arc to his music in his own story as well. And so that that's I think that's the, the, the appeal to Johnny Cash. You can listen to a lot of Christian music exclusively. And you can listen to kind of a lot of, I guess, secular music that goes to dark places. But Cash was able to hold the light in the dark. Mm. He would sing a murder ballad, but then he would sing Amazing Grace in the same, you know, concert in the same album. And I think that that speaks to all of us because I think we we sense those tensions in our own hearts. And I think that's why he was so popular with prison audiences. They listened to his music and they said, this guy gets he gets me. He never was in prison himself. Some people mistakenly think he's been, he was jailed. He went to jail yeah, a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, but not prison. But not prison. Mm-hmm. But he was able to to speak to their alienation and loneliness and marginalization that uh, they would write to him. And that's why he, he just would give all of these free concerts uh, for inmates. Mm-hmm. I am. Um... I didn't get I didn't know who Johnny Cash was until I was in college and I was watching the MTV Video Music Awards and uh, Justin Timberlake won Best Male Video uh, for Crimea River. Uh, and he got up there and he said, this is a travesty. Um, Johnny Cash was nominated, too, for uh, his cover wow. of Nine Inch Nails uh, song Hurt. Um, and I and I remember after he said that, I was like, huh. And so I went back and, and, and watched the music video of Hurt and. And just blown away. Like, I didn't even know. And uh, and I think there are probably a lot of people in my age that that did not know about him until that moment. And, and so I was wondering, like, as he kind of ended his life, and, and that song was so. I mean, that's I still listen to that song. Uh, what what kind of was defined kind of the the end of his life? Like, how did he how did he kind of finish things? Well, you know his his. Career kind of peaked in the 70s. Uh, he even had a TV show, The Johnny Cash Show. And that probably kind of signals the end of your cultural relevance when you kind of have a, <laughs> a you variety have a show. Right, right. <laughs> Sunny and Cheer. Yeah. I can't yeah. see him doing that. That's yeah. Yeah. It's you weren't even born. It's pretty cheesy. The show is morose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so a lot of – so in his history, the 80s is considered his lost decade. Uh, he was still putting out albums, but – most of them weren't very memorable. And then he was actually even a drop by Columbia Records during the 80s in, in, in a big embarrassment and shock to the Nashville music establishment. But then in the early 90s, he bumped into Rick Rubin, who was a producer of you know metal bands and rap and hip hop. And Rubin was looking for a challenge. I mean, Cash seemed past his career. And it was a really unlikely partnership, this kind of hippie 
producer of rap and metal bands working with an aged country music icon. But they produced four albums before Cash's death, the American Recordings albums, that a lot of people consider to be some of the most significant music that he ever produced. Mm. And it's those albums in the 90s that really captured the attention of a younger audience, that kind of MTV audience. And Hurt probably is the most iconic song from that season. So Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails wrote Hurt uh, in the midst of his own heroin addiction. And Ruben had Cash sing it. And there's just a lot of pain and regret and suffering in Hurt that, yeah, comes from the story of a 20-year-old Trent Reznor. But Mm -hmm. when it's sung by an aged Johnny Cash, looking back over his whole life, there's a haunting line in there that says, everyone I know goes away in the end. And when that's sung by an older man, Mm -hmm. um, and like Steve, you had already mentioned, June had passed on at that point too. Mm -hmm. There is just a sadness and a pathos and a depth to that song that many people consider it one of the greatest covers in rock music history. Hmm. And I just have to say quickly as we're going to the break, if you seek out that song, you've got to see the video. Yeah, yeah you that's can. If right. there was only one music video, that's it for me. It is astonishing. It'll blow you away. And guys, you're saying, you know, he sounded like a pagan to me. No, he wasn't. I said at the beginning that the Son of Man was loved by the man in black. Uh, But the Son of Man loved the man in black. And we're going to talk about how that happened on the other side of the break. So don't go anywhere. If you turn off your radio or your computer before you hear more of this, you will get the hives. (laughs) If anybody asks you, tell them you're listening to Steve Brown, etc. I've been around a long time, and most of that time, I've been looking for a hero. Somebody who always did it right, who was always wise, who was really tight with God. I gave it up. They're just like me. And that can be depressing, but it's okay. Jesus said I shouldn't worship at anybody's altar but his. I can live with that. Besides, worshiping anybody but him fouls up relationships. So much better if those who are loved by Jesus love each other without unrealistic expectations. If you're as messed up as I am, we can be friends. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Like this time with uh, with Richard Beck, let me give you uh, uh, a website: experimentaltheology.blogspot.com. Experimental theology, which means that he teaches Buddhism and Islam <laughs> and tritheism. Tritheism, right? Experimentaltheology.blogspot.com, and you'll be glad. Hey, I just wanted to have a, a quick follow-up uh, piece on what we were talking about early about 
uh, the Rick Rubin era and the American sessions. I think uh, it is so interesting to listen to how it was recorded. And, you know, I, I produce music as well. And, and so microphones is kind of a thing I like. But uh, I was just thinking about this earlier that that you, you listen to early recordings with Johnny Cash and, and especially especially other country artists. It's they could take one microphone and record record a whole group in a room. And when you get to the end of of Cash's time recording with Rick Rubin, it sounds like he's uh, you're laying your head on his chest and he's just kind of singing you a lullaby. And it's this really close, big, warm sound. And I think that contributes a lot to the. I don't know, the power and the intimacy of these records. And uh, just wanted to get your your kind of thoughts on that, too, on that era. Yeah, I think that was part of the genius of Ruben, where he, in a lot of this music that he recorded with Cash, got the, produ- the heavy production out of the way and, and just let Cash's voice come through. And even as those albums go on later on, his voice gets increasingly weak as well. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, in some of the final recordings, he, he could barely get the, get the lyrics out. And they had to splice the songs together bit by bit um, as he had to take breaths in between. But, but that's what's so haunting about it right. is the degree of intimacy. The, his voice itself, even when it's weak and frail, is so close to you that, yeah, you feel like you're sitting in the room with him. And there's just not, nothing really quite like it. Yeah, it's powerful. Talk about uh, uh, the landing of the plane. Uh, I mean, he really believed all this stuff about Jesus. And uh, he landed the plane well, didn't he? Uh, talk yeah, about he that a little bit. Well, I mean, I think he grew up obviously Baptist, um, but in his early career kind of lost touch with his faith. And I think that's where he got a little wayward. Um, I think he drifted very far away from God during the during the 50s and early 60s in the height of his drug addiction. And as Robert Hilburn accounts in his biography, that his sobriety was uh, still tenuous. He, he, he went back into rehab a couple different times um, after that season. But he did recover his faith in the late 60s and became a really overt evangelist for the Lord. I don't know if anybody people know this, but he actually wrote a, a book about the Apostle Paul called yeah. The Man in White. Yeah. And that's all, that you can buy that on Amazon right now. So he, he spent uh, many years just digging into the history of Israel. He visited Israel multiple times, fell in love with the country and recorded a whole album called The Holy Land, where he recorded kind of native sounds of the birds. And the he sat, he went to Cana and recorded uh, um, there where they uh, believe the miracle of turning the water into wine happened. And, and eventually, I don't know if people know this as well, he eventually recorded, uh, filmed on his own dime and produced it and wrote it and acted in it uh, a feature-length movie called The Gospel Road. And it's just you can I think it's on Netflix. You can watch Johnny Cash kind of narrate the life of Jesus in word and song. Um, and it's probably the, the most overt you'll see him. I mean, you literally see him standing on a mountain in Israel, with the King James Version of the Bible in his hand, <laughs> you know, telling the message of Jesus. And so he at times became an overt evangelist uh, for the gospel that saved him. And he was speaking not just abstractly. This was this was the God that pulled him out of hell. And back into the light. Hmm. And throughout his whole career, he was clear about what the gospel was, what the main thing was. That never changed, did it? 
No, and I think that's another compelling thing about thinking about cash from a theological perspective is that theme of grace is just highlighted all the way throughout his whole life because we've been talking about the brokenness and his own struggles, but that that darkness in his life and in our own just provides the contrast for what the gospel really is, which is God's uh, undeserved favor uh, for all of us. That And that is our only hope, right? That God walks the line for us. Because if it's up to me to walk the line, um, if God and I enter into a partnership where I have to hold up my side of the bargain, I think, I think we all know that's a doomed proposition. <laughs> um, and Cash, I think his whole story just illustrates that. Tell, talk about the Christofferson song, um, and we don't have a lot of time, but that was pretty central to the book. You even referenced it in your acknowledgments, uh, Chris Christofferson's song that he wanted Cash to record, and eventually he did. Talk about that yeah, a little Sunday, bit. Yeah, Sunday morning coming down, uh, Christofferson wrote it about his own, again, experience of substance abuse, and he really wanted Cash to cover it. And Cash was a little bit resistant at first. So the stories vary on how he f- forcefully he got with Cash. One account even has him landing in a helicopter in his backyard, says, you got to sing this song. Little <laughs> uh, oh, rock stars. Cash, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cash just eventually listened to the song and realized at one point he said, I could identify with every lyric. And it's a song about a guy who wakes up with a hangover on a Sunday morning and he's wandering through the neighborhood and he hears this the sounds of a church singing hymns and he sees a father pushing his daughter in a swing and he walks by and smells uh, Sunday morning fried chicken from a family and just experiences the alienation, how disconnected he is from faith and from family and from hope. And so Sunday morning comes crashing down on him and that's cash covered the song. And it's now kind of one of the most beloved cash covers that he ever did. Um, but again, it's him giving voice to an alienation that many people do. I I spoke at a church where I played some of this music and talked about it. And I was walking out of the church and the guy said to me, an older guy in his eighties, he goes, listen, that song, that was me. Um, Like that was me. I was a drunk and I was, you know, on the street, dirty and homeless. And that song is the gospel to me because cash saw me where I was in my life. And, um, and so, yeah, you realize when you talk about Johnny Cash with people, how different songs through his career, Sunday Morning Coming Down is one of them, that they are just, um, they've been lifelines for people. Mm. Uh, they, they feel seen in a way that they've never been seen by uh, an artist before. And I think that's his great legacy that Cash was able to see us in his music and by seeing us, uh, get the experience of God seeing us. Um, I think that Cash was once asked if he could summarize his music um, in one word, what would he say? And he said, love. And I think that's the message of the gospel. It really is. Richard, I, you know, we just started this and now we got to end it. And I just hate it. You, uh, you obviously uh, do this quite well. So you, when you do something quite well, you got to do it again. So we will expect that. We want to talk about the psychology of cussing. Uh, or, uh, I can do a whole hour on that. I know. Listen, we're going to have you on again. I hope you'll say yes when Kathy calls. Richard, God bless you, and thank you for spending this time with us and writing the book. The book. The book is Strange Jesus and Murder, 
The Gospel According to Johnny Cash. Buy it, read it, give it to all your pagan friends. Best witness you will ever make. Don't go away, we're coming back. Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. really was a fun hour, and Kathy's right. I do owe her. Uh, mm, big time. That was a great hour. I absolutely loved it, and I knew I was going to like it. I just, when I read the book, I thought, you know, this is going to be fun. And we're going to have trouble getting this in an hour. And we didn't. I mean, we could have gone. Did we even talk about months. murder? Uh, yeah, we didn't even get to, yeah. we get to the last oh, word. Oh, he's we got, got a song. Jesus oh, now. yeah. We could. There's just so many places we could go. But, you yeah. know, bottom line is this is what this thing is all about. And there's a sense in which Johnny Cash um, is not only a person, he's a metaphor and he's not only that, he is a representative of what the pure gospel is all about. And uh, it's about flawed people uh, being loved by a God that a lot of people lie about. Uh, a God who reaches out and loves us uh, before we love him because that was the only way it could work. And boy, you get somebody like Johnny Cash. You know, I don't want to go the places he went. In fact, I probably could, and there have been some of them, but I'm not going to talk about it because I need the job. <laughs> but I'm glad he did, and I'm glad he was as bad as he was because you can see the pristine nature of God's pure love in the face of our sin. So if you're not a believer and you're listening to this program, first, are you crazy? Secondly, we're glad you're here. And thirdly, you heard what the gospel is about today. Uh, it's about, uh, and Luther put it well, we're great sinners and we have a great Savior. And anybody tell you different, they don't know what they're talking about or they're lying outright. Okay. How are you going to top this next week? Well, <laughs> Johnny Cash is coming. Johnny Cash. <laughs> we're going to have a seance and have Johnny Cash. Actually, we're not going to top it next week because we did some we did some changing around of things, and so I can't exactly 
tell you what's going to happen next week. So, so we're we just could top it. Have to we find could top out. it. It could. We might. Well, maybe. Yeah, we could. Maybe. But what we're going to have to do is just rely on the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who listen to the program to join because of our stellar reputation. Oh man, that's not, <laughs> that's pretty scary. Hey guys. You join them next week. <laughs> I'm not going to be here. I'm going to back out. Oh, no, you're going to be here. Like and uh, join us. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. And that gives you a wide, wide berth.